You are now listening to Well-Fed Women, the show that's been radically changing the way women perceive health, fitness, and their bodies since 2015. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr. Submit your questions to wellfedwomen at gmail.com, and you can keep up with the show on Instagram at wellfedwomen. Welcome to the Well-Fed Women podcast. This is episode number 291. I am your host, Noel Tarr of CoconutsAndKettlebells.com, and I'm here with my co-host, Stephanie Ruper. Today, Steph and I will be discussing hormonal migraines and what might be at the root of that, and also Steph's thoughts, her her overarching thoughts, her f- philosophy about migraines. We'll also be talking about how um, to go about sending, setting boundaries to protect your health, And we're going to touch on two somewhat popular nutrient deficiencies, iron deficiency and uh, vitamin D deficiency. Speaking of deficiencies, if you, like many people, are struggling with sleep issues, including problems, falling asleep and staying asleep, one of the things that plays a big role in sleep issues is magnesium deficiency, as you've likely already heard from many experts I've interviewed on this podcast, the majority of people are deficient in magnesium. Most recently, I had Brie Whistleman on, who is a functional medicine practitioner. I interviewed her with episode, on episode number 286. Um, she said that almost all of her patients have a magnesium deficiency when she pulls their li- labs, which I found s- just crazy. Um, largely, this is because stress depletes magnesium, as does pregnancy, and magnesium is no longer readily available via food sources because of soil degradation. Magnesium increases GABA, which encourages relaxation on a cellular level and is critical for sleep. And because stress depletes magnesium, this also means magnesium is needed to support your body's stress response. Because of this, magnesium is one of those supplements that I recommend just about everybody consider. Different types of magnesium have different benefits, and you will likely see much more noticeable benefits when taking a supplement that compounds a variety of different types of magnesium in their bioavailable forms. This is why I love Bioptimizer's Magnesium Breakthrough. It contains seven different types of magnesium, all in highly absorbable forms. Obviously, We have a great relationship with Bioptimizers and Wade, and I I really trust their process and their quality and their people, which is important. And uh, Magnesium Breakthrough is really the first magnesium supplement that has had a noticeable impact on my sleep. Um, So you can get 10% off Magnesium Breakthrough. Go to bioptimizers.com slash wellfed, and then be sure to use the code wellfed10 for 10% off. They also have a money-back guarantee, so they stand behind their product, which I love. Um, Again, it's bioptimizers, that's B-I, and then optimizers, O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com forward slash wellfed, that's W-E-L-L-F-E-D, and then you use the code wellfed10 for an additional 10% off. Usually it's like automatically applied, but um, yeah, that's exciting. Um, Hi, Steph. Hello. Hello. So how art thou? Uh, Yeah, I'm pretty good. How art thou? (laughs) Fantastic. I would like to talk to you about your your surgery coming up. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting surgery. So you, you've talked about this briefly, and you mentioned the last episode that we did together that you were 
having bank account issues because you're moving money around for the surgery. So you mm-hmm. obviously had your last, your final um, sort of, what do you call it? Consult. Consult. <laughs> That's a good word. Um, and you decide to go with it. Talk to me about that and how that went and all the things. Yeah. Well, it was good. The doctor is very funny. I was like, so there's this thing I'm experiencing where if I press on my nose and I make it a little bit more straight, my headaches go away. And I voiced this to him like it was a big deal. And he was like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Which is funny. And, you know, the last time I was on the podcast, you and I, we did a lot of talking about the vagus nerve. Mm. And I am so, so, so much looking forward to this because so when I, I don't know how, to what degree I described my physiological issues with uh, the podcast in in weeks prior, but as a brief recap, uh, my nose is, is pretty curved and the cartilage creates like a a C shape, uh, which blocks my airflow a little bit. It, it makes the air go through the nose at, uh, it, it hits more surface area, which means that the air that goes into your sinus cavity is drier than other people's, which causes sinus inflammation because dry air inflames the sinuses. And when the sinuses get inflamed, they they squeeze, uh, you know, and it squeezes your blood vessels, which I think is a contributing factor to my headache. A. B. On the other side, the reason this part of my nose is curved is because up near the top, it is uh, shattered, smashed. I'm not sure what the technical term is, but like the bone... Uh, broke uh, very, we have no idea when, but possibly even before I was born, the bone broke and uh, it, it grew back larger than it normally would and blocked the little airway on that side that goes down. So anyway, I've never, I've never due to those two things, I've never taken like a very deep breath. And, and when you struggle to breathe, I have a, um, a snoring strip on my nose right now. <laughs> like pulls your nostrils oh, out. Really? You know? Yeah. And and that's helpful. I'm like, wow, this is great. But when when you struggle to um, breathe easily, when you don't have a straight, you know, narrow, whatever, um, then I think what I experience is the rest of my body like tenses up a little bit every time I inhale and exhale. And in order to get the benefits of uh, breathing deeply, it has to be kind of easy and you have to be able to exhale completely. But I never really exhale completely because it like takes extra effort from my muscles and stuff because my, you know. So anyway, my hypothesis is that I have pretty much never had like a solid baseline vagus nerve activation through my breathing. Because um, hmm. when I when I make my nose straight, I when I breathe, I'm like, oh, that's the stuff. <laughs> You know, so, uh, and that's only fixing, that's only fixing one side. It's not fixing the other side. Oxygen, so, man. Yeah. Well, it's, it's oxygen. It's mm-hmm. oxygenating your body, but it's also, uh, providing an ease for this experience of deep breathing, which I'm hoping will help me sleep and will help me uh, relax a little bit more, will help me trigger my vagus nerve, which will decrease my headaches. So, uh, this is, this is all the reasoning that's going into this. And I'm so so excited. It's uh, three weeks from today. Uh, so by the time you hear this, it will have been done. And what's the recovery time like yeah, that? Yeah, I'm stoked. And yeah, so the overnight, they leave a lot of stuff in your nose. So you have to breathe through your mouth, 
you can um, I'm I'm arranged uh, fortunately a friend of mine's father is an anesthesiologist who lives in London so I'm going to stay with him in London overnight and then uh, in the morning they take the stuff out and you have like a little splint like you have a cast on your face <laughs> for a week and apparently it's pretty awful because you have a really hard time breathing and everything hurts but I'm totally willing to do it you know I, yeah <laughs> I've had week long headaches before you know like <laughs> fine so um. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So it's a week and then they take it off and they advise you have to sleep on your back and no contact sports, but salsa isn't happening. It's the perfect time to, for me to get this done. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited. And then after a few weeks, the doctor told me that once he takes the packing out of my nose, so the next morning, uh, I will be able to tell that my breathing is different, even though it'll be harder because everything mm. will be swollen and stuffy I'll still be able to notice and then increasingly throughout time it'll keep getting better so um, that's the hope the stats on this are, are pretty promising you know mm -hmm. nothing is perfect you never know for sure but uh, yeah I'm I'm really I'm really looking forward and I'm feeling pretty uh, comfortable about it all I saw so. you posted you posted about it on Instagram Instagram yeah, on the health to empower Instagram page I did not follow up did, did people ask a lot of questions or were they just saying good luck or you know what it was amazing because <laughs> I when I first started talking about this with a lot of people I was met with a lot of resistance you know and that's fine I totally get it and everybody's just looking out for me but when I posted this on Instagram um, I first posted it to my philosophy Stephanie Ruber account my personal account and I got I don't at least 10 people commenting maybe more maybe 20 uh, commenting saying wow I did this or wow my partner did this and game changing and or I used to work in an ENT unit and pretty much everybody who comes through says their only regret is they didn't do it sooner so that was really great to hear um, mm. I actually didn't get a, I didn't really get any questions but I did um, at least <laughs> I didn't I'm not sure I haven't checked the Health Room Power response uh, since reasonably soon after posting it, but um, at least on my other page, I didn't. I didn't really get questions. I just got people saying like, "Yeah, go you," you know. So cool. Yeah, it was uh, affirming. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. That's that's uh, something new and special. <laughs> no judgment on Instagram. <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> my peeps are you know, are you know our peeps? Yes, audience small. I have some very exciting news about a project I have been working on with Grassroots Farmers Cooperative. Most of you are well aware of how much I love Grassroots Co-op and what they're doing for regenerative agriculture. They have set up a system where you can order incredibly delicious 100% pasture-raised meats directly from small-scale family farms in the U.S. from their website. Now I have been working with them on a special limited edition well-fed women box specifically for this community. The well-fed women box from Grassroots Co-op is an assortment of my favorite cuts of meat inspired by my recipes. The cuts are affordable, easy to cook with, and give you the most bang for your buck. For example, the grass-fed ground beef can be used to make my easy mini meatloaves. And the chicken thighs can be used to make my sheet pan chicken, broccoli, and sweet potatoes. The box includes the box includes seven varieties of meats, including other popular cuts such as sirloin steak, chicken tenders, and of course bacon. All of this is bundled at a 15% discount. 
Yes, which I'm so excited about because it's an incredible deal for such high quality meat from farms that provide full transparency in the work they do. To get the Well-Fed Women box, which is at a 15% discount, go to grassrootscoop.com slash wellfed. There is limited stock and no subscription is required. Again, that's grassrootscoop, C-O-O-P.com forward slash wellfed. Tell me, so Ashley, and when I posted questions, we had a question from Ashley Main, and she goes, um, I want to hear more about Stephanie Rupert's dancing. I think one of my goals for September is to learn salsa, Latin, bachata, etc. <gasps> dancing all month long. I'm sure she learned originally, but I'm a little type A. I plan to find lots of YouTube videos. And then I have my note under this, which is like, Steph, didn't you have a website at some point dedicated to this? So like, I still do. I still okay, do. Do you have and... dancing still going on? Are you dancing? Well, I'm not partner dancing because... It's not allowed. And Oh yeah. <laughs> Didn't even think about that. Wow, that's like the thing, you Yikes. know. That, it's a really big deal. I've dancers are struggling. Right yes. Now. Yeah. We're all struggling. There's this uh, I put up a Facebook post like ten years ago and I just got one of those notifications that's like, oh da da. I guess it wasn't ten because I had wasn't salsa dancing at this point. Maybe five years ago and mm. it came up as a memory. And I had said um, has anybody ever gone more than eight days yeah. without dancing? What are the symptoms? I think I'm dying. <laughs> it was eight days. Um, and now it's been like six months. Way too many. So, yeah, it's a long time. Um, I love it so much. Absolutely. I think it, you know, I I can give speeches about how amazing dancing is all the time. You move your body, which creates endorphins. You move to music, which creates endorphins. And the music is great. Uh, you communicate with other people empathetically. And you get to learn how to listen. And you laugh together and connect. And there's vulnerability and playfulness. And um, literally, I, there's so many things involved in, in social partner dancing that are that, that help you feel good and make you healthy, you know? So um, I'm a huge, huge, huge proponent of it. If you want to learn, and if you're, uh, I think, self-professed type A and really into the nuances of how to do stuff, my website, theperfectfollow.com is still kind of, I don't know. I, I think it's good. And some people who are really well-placed in the dance community you know, people who are leading influencers on the planet also think that it's a really high quality resource. So, um, yeah, dancing is like, dancing is like my thing. <laughs> really, really high quality resource. Um, I don't teach moves, but I teach like how to, you know, how to position your body and, and that sort of thing. Um, and if you follow me on Instagram at Stephanie Ruper and you drop me a DM about wanting to learn how to dance, I promise you that will be something that I will be very interested in responding to. So, um, <laughs> yeah. That's how to win her over, folks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So no yeah. underground secret dance I, sessions. I think people are doing it. Yeah. I have not. Um, part of, if I were living in London, I like, I don't know. I don't know how um, careful to be on this podcast. If I lived in London, I would probably try to find a way to dance in a way that was safe. You know, like have one person yep. or two people that I danced with or something. I, I, I think I would, and outside or whatever mm -hmm. with hand sanitizer, and it's something people do. Um, and Or like um, we have this thing in the UK where you have bubbles where there's like a few people that you can see uh, currently. So I would probably have a dancer in my bubble, but I don't. And I actually have not danced since um, actually the night before 
uh, lockdown started here in the UK. Mm. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Um, I just, I didn't even, like, didn't even think about that. I don't know why, but it's like, you well, can't. Well, you don't have to think about me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I do, though. Well, I'm just saying, like, dancing is something that is largely done with another person. So if you're not quarantined with one, you know, what do you do? So I know people, though, people who are dance. married to or partners with dancers, the rest of us are so jealous because they're maintaining their technique <laughs> and they can <laughs> practice and stuff. Yeah. I've been wearing stilettos around just so I can uh, keep my muscles mm. capable, you know. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah. Mm. Okay. The perfect follow is it's called the perfect follow dot com. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Okay. Let's get to our question. Let's talk about migraines. I really want to hear from you about this. So question number one is from Catherine. She says, can you talk about hormonal migraines? <laughs> that was basically it. Um, and the last time that we talked, you were saying you wanted to write, um, what is it, migraines unlocked? Headaches. Oh, hi- headaches unlocked. Talk to us about headaches, girl. Yeah, so... <laughs> Yeah, so that's how I answer all questions, by the way, if, if you haven't listened to 300 episodes of this yet. Yeah, so um, headaches. Unfortunately, the relationship between hormones and migraines is the, my least well-educated area of knowledge in terms of headaches and what causes them. Definitely, it's definitely a thing that at certain times in the menstrual cycle <laughs> – uh, you can experience uh, increased migraines. Did um, sorry, is it like? And, and I would ask at what point in the cycle, right? I, that wasn't communicated, right, Noel? So you, yes. Do would you like me to give an overview very quickly? I I want to yeah. hear more about just like what all the things about headaches because we get a lot of migraine and and headache questions, and while migraines and headaches can be triggered by the cycle i think that there's much more at play than just hormones great yeah okay so hormones definitely can exacerbate the problem via a wide variety of mechanisms that again i'm not like super well acquainted with but allow me to (laughs) allow me to explain my theory of headaches and then maybe i won't have to write headaches unlocked so you have pain receptors in your head and there is actually a part of your brain that literally deals with pain receptors, like that deals with pain in your head, right? It's just a part in your brain that deals with nerves in your head. And it happens to be very close to things that can make you nauseated in your senses, in your brain. So there's a number of different ways, you know, by by which migraines and and headaches generally happen. Um, But the primary problem is twofold. The nerves in your head, right, Uh, being pinched or inflamed, uh, that's a really big problem. And then you can also come at it from the other direction, which is the head pain area of your your brain getting like lit up like a lightning storm, right? So, and that's kind of more associated with the migraine stuff, but they – my personal experience is that I often move from whenever I start getting very light headache, I know I, I have to intervene because it's going to it's going to go all the way to such to such a point that the pain part of my brain is activated enough that I get migraine like symptoms. Right. So um, the blood vessels in your brain 
are can be very, very sensitive. Mine are extremely sensitive, but I think part of the reason they're extremely sensitive is because uh, I don't have the relaxation response from the vagus nerve that I was talking about earlier. I mean, that's, that's part of it. Relaxing your body, turning on the parasympathetic response will decrease your blood pressure and remove pressure from, from hitting your from hitting your little blood vessels, right? So the nerves in your head, I should have led with this, the nerves in your head, in your skull, covering your skull, um, are squished between your blood and muscles. So anytime you have a tightening of muscles or uh, an increase in blood pressure uh, or something that's going to create pressure from inside your blood vessels against the nerves is, is, is going to cause a headache. So um, things that happen within your blood uh, that can cause a headache would be a high blood pressure and uh, dehydration. Of course, uh, those two things are, are pretty high up there. Of course, uh, having a big stress response, having anxiety, that sort of thing can uh, create this effect of higher blood pressure and more stress on more pressure being put on the nerves in your brain, which then cause pain, right? You're just squishing nerves and that causes pain. Uh, also, of course, if you uh, squint a lot, if you have jaw tension, if you have tension in your shoulders, in your back, if something's out of line in your back, all of these things can create muscle patterns that squeeze that squeeze your head. And this is why um, taking hot showers is really good for my headaches because uh, like, I, it's if you have any kind of muscle tension in your head and you get under a hot spray of water, it's such an amazing feeling of relief. It's like, whoosh, everything just relaxes. And, and it, it's like taking like a weight off, right? Like say you're holding a book for a really long time. It's like taking the weight off of something. It just removes the pressure. It's amazing. So, um, so those are some things. And then you have the chemical side in your head as well, which if you are an experiencer of migraines, you know when your brain is starting to do that thing that feels a, a little bit like a lightning storm. My personal experience of migraines, like a, a classic migraine is I get a aura. It's a tiny little circle that starts in the middle of the right side of my vision. And it's red, green, and blue triangles that make a circle. And it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And I know that in 30 minutes, I'm going to be like thwacked with pain because for uh, we, you know, there's a wide variety of triggers, but these things um, can, uh, will cause some sort of hyperactivity in your brain, which then infects the, the pain area and nausea and uh, having trouble seeing, right? Um, I definitely get blocked vision when I have this aura. So those are all things uh, that can create this, this lightning storm, but you can also have increased um, problems in your brain based on your neurochemistry. So uh, if you don't have uh, adequate magnesium in your brain, you're going to have uh, an upregulation of excitatory neurotransmitters. If you don't have enough GABA, if you don't have uh, a proper balance of serotonin against other neurotransmitters, these are all things that can create upregulatory, you know, hyperexcitability in your brain, which will then, of course, tip you over the edge into some kind of pain for, for your headaches. So my personal <laughs> way of dealing, and I also, one thing that does that for me is uh, bright lights is a really huge trigger for me, and that's neurochemical. Um, 
it's not because I'm squinting. It's because the, I, the bright lights uh, trigger that, that part of my brain. And, and well, I also squint, but um, there's, there's so many things on these lists. Um, many kinds of foods, aged foods, will increase tyramine, uh, which can trigger uh, migraines and head pain. So aged foods, um, chocolate is really big on that list. It's got a lot of tannins in it. Um, and aged foods also includes alcohol that's been open for a while, <laughs> except wine, I think, because it's fermented. But um, aged foods, uh, cheeses that have been left open for a while, like that sort of thing. can be, I've, I've gotten migraines because I had cheese that was open in my fridge for a couple of weeks. So um, that sort of thing, uh, coffee I mentioned, caffeine uh, is helps people with migraines because it constricts your blood vessels. Also, um, yeah, so anything that like constricts your blood vessels can help because it, it takes the, the pressure off of, off of the nerves in your head. So um, anyway, you have these kind of food-related triggers. And anything that's inflammatory, anything that's messing up the neurotransmitters in your head can, can do that, you know. And so it, it takes a lot of trial and error. Um, I want to give you a list of foods that bother me, but I'm, I'm probably going to forget. Um, anything that's really dehydrating, huge problem um, for me. Uh, so really salty foods. I can't eat a lot of processed foods. I can't eat um, any foods that have M MSG in them uh, because MSG is both dehydrating and it's a salt because it's with very salty foods and also because it's monosodium glutamate and glutamate is an excitatory neurotransmitter and it just wrecks me and I can't sleep and I get horrible headaches. So um, anything dehydrating, MSG, uh, chocolates on my list, um, lots of stuff, red wine, dark alcohols. I have a very, very long list of things that bother me. And then of course you have the, the external stuff too, uh, which I've mentioned, but I could summarize together, uh, bright lights can be big for, um, not just me, for a lot of people, uh, muscle tension, um, Things that are dehydrating, like intense exercise, if you're not replenishing your fluids, uh, low sleep, of course, uh, stress, all these sorts of things cause headaches. Things that you can do for them, the list is equally as big. And it's all based on two things. One, making sure you've got that neurotransmitter balance and two, taking pressure off of the nerves in your head. So the neurotransmitter balance, um, I take magnesium. 308, which is the only form of magnesium that can get past the blood-brain barrier, so important. When people have migraines that are so intense that they're like in intense pain and, and they go to the hospital, they often get injected with uh, serum magnesium. Uh, so magnesium is huge for headaches and migraines. Magnesium 308 is the best. I also take glycine, which is an amino acid that helps your body create uh, the inhibitory neurotransmitters. So it helps your brain sort of switch from the more glutamate-based hyperactive uh, state to a more restful state. Uh, and I, I take a little bit of ashwagandha, although I'm not sure uh, how that relates to my headaches. Deep breathing is really important. You could meditate two or three times a day. That can really help bring you down. Making sure bright screens, you know, people don't take, people don't breathe as much when they look at something bright. That's like something that's been studied. And so you want a computer screen that's a little bit more in the orange spectrum and not not bright. And uh, you want to be relaxed, as relaxed as possible, stretching your body, your back, your neck, your head, that sort of thing, really important. Um, uh, what else in terms of the neurochemistry? Great hydration is key. Um, and you also want to make sure that 
I've actually started, I started drinking caffeine because I noticed that not a lot of it, but a little bit every day really helps because it is, it's constricts the blood vessels. Uh, you can also, <laughs> this one is a little bit tough, but your natural, like endorphins are natural painkillers. And so you can do a really hard workout uh, to help with your headaches, but that takes a lot of fortitude and it doesn't always pan out. So <laughs> you got to be careful. Um, but that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of the stuff that I recommend. Low light, hot showers can be super clutch. Um, and of course, there's other stuff too that I have less experience with. And there's cluster headaches, which I have theories about and stuff. But that, like, that's it. Does that make sense? Is that, did I talk yeah, totally. to totally. Yeah. Cool. Um, so I, I will add to about just the whole menstrual cycle and hormonal migraines i i it, typically when it does occur it's in the second half of your cycle or the, the luteal phase and i think it's more common when both progesterone and estrogen drop right before your cycle begins so you have essentially you have three main hormones estrogen progesterone and testosterone three main sex hormones and they all fluctuate with your cycle and so i think that it's normal for you know, all all of the hormones to be in at different parts of your cycle. It's normal for there to be these fluctuations. However, they all need to always be in balance. And one of the most common imbalances that can lead to migraines and or headaches is estrogen dominance, meaning that at some point in your cycle, estrogen is too high. And that could be caused by you having... um you know, too high of estrogen. So you're not, you're either not excreting it properly or you're exposed to too much of it or progesterone is low in relation to estrogen. Mm -hmm. So that's the typical hormonal imbalance. And one of the main symptoms of estrogen dominance is headaches. And I don't know of, you know, if it's considered to be migraines as well. You know, headaches is a symptom. Migraines are much more intense, obviously. But I do notice personally that I have more headaches in my in the second half of my cycle. Interesting to note, too, you're mm -hmm. talking about dehydration. And I know that everybody talks about hydration when it comes to migraines or headaches. Your body, your basal body temperature raises in your second half of your cycle. So, and mm -hmm. you do, you can, it you actually, if, you, if you're working out, for example, in the second half of your cycle, you actually have an increased... Um, there's there's very limited studies done that show that you have like you could potentially um, your body temperature, the raise in that body temperature, your your ability to work out as hard or like and do so while remaining hydrated is reduced. So you just have to kind of remember to stay more hydrated if you're working out hard in the second half of your cycle, which could you know potentially lead to. Uh, further dehydration, especially if you're eating foods that are dehydrating. But I have noticed that too. Especially, like it's just all kind of, and that's what I'm saying. Like, or that's what I was saying before. When it, there's just so much at play. So obviously, hormones can be a big part of that. Estrogen dominance can be a big part of that. But there's more to the story. You know, it's 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 likely a cause of. Or it can be triggered by one small thing, but other things sort of tip the scale. So um, estrogen dominance. You know, to get things back into balance, you have to, one, remove endocrine receptors and xenoestrogens in your life. I don't know if I should go into this, but maybe I'll just touch on it slightly. The most common source of endocrine receptors, which are essentially they're compounds that act like estrogen in your body. 
are skincare and cosmetic pro- cosmetics cosmetic products. <laughs> Where do I put that S? Cosmetic products. Um, <laughs> they're a double whammy because they contain ingredients that are known endocrine disruptors like parabens, but then they also, a lot of the ingredients can be contaminated with heavy metals, which research suggests that heavy metals like lead in particular, which can be found in lipstick, can mimic estrogen in the body, which is why Steph and I are huge fans of Beauty Counter. Um, I don't know of any other company, and believe me, I've actually done some deep diving on about 40 other brands, clean beauty brands, that tests their raw materials and end products for heavy metals. So, I mean, clean beauty can can be more expensive, but if you are trying to support hormonal, proper hormonal function, hormonal balance, and you are struggling with either heavy periods or just you're not totally sure, maybe you have some of those symptoms of either PMS or um, estrogen dominance, because I've been doing a lot of research about PMS and PMDD lately. And a lot of those symptoms of PMS and PMDD, there is a link there between PMS and PMDD and estrogen dominance. I mean, it's not clear. There's not a lot of research, but it does seem like there is there could be a strong argument for estrogen dominance sort of being at the root of all of that. So, Clean beauty is typically more expensive, um, but I do think it's worth it. And if you can slowly, both Steph and I slowly, you know, shifted into safe, clean makeup and safe and clean skincare, safer skincare. Um, I do have a clean beauty email list, coconutsandcatabells.com slash beauty. And that's where I always do a ton of, you know, talk about promotions and discounts and stuff going on to make it more affordable. Um, Cleaning products are also a huge source of xenoestrogens. And this is, of course, why I love Puracy. I also use a company called Better Life, but I try to prioritize Puracy because I trust how they source their ingredients. Um, It's puracy.com slash well-fed, and I believe that's 10% off, Um, which is rare. It's like a first purchase discount. Um, And then so detoxification is really important as well when we're just talking about hormones and how they impact us. You need to be supporting liver detoxification and gut health, which (laughs) refer to what's this uh, episode 289 for our discussion on the the gut brain axis and all the things that play into gut health. That's a huge discussion. However, I do think you could be doing small things like you know, when we're talking about the gut as a whole, we really need to remove foods that could potentially be negatively impacting our gut, add in foods that support gut health, um, probiotic, maybe a beta-glucan, like a prebiotic, and really just be supporting our body's ability to detoxify um, hormones and supporting our liver in that way as well, which our liver really needs cruciferous vegetables and sulfur, which you can find in egg yolks and... Um, B vitamins, so organ meats. Does this sound like a like we're repeating ourselves? Um, but <laughs> it's essentially what helps the excretion of hormones, and then you you on top of that want to remove xenoestrogens, progesterone. <laughs> Low progesterone is caused by stress. Typically, do again. Am I repeating myself? So reduction in stress, and then. I would say, too, like you mentioned magnesium. I think that magnesium is is hugely important when we're talking about headaches. And there have been studies that show that that magnesium supplementation can improve headaches. So tinker with the amount. What is the amount that you take in, in milligrams of magnesium? I don't take a lot. 
Um, okay. Because if I do, I get a really intense muscle soreness. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Um, like many days in a row, if I do say one teaspoon of natural calm, uh, which is not a full dose, uh, then I end up getting muscle soreness, I think because of the electrolyte imbalance, but I, I'm not sure. So um, I take one capsule of magnesium 308 a night. Yeah, got it. Which is, I believe, 100 milligrams, but I'm not 100% sure. I can check right now if you want. <laughs> well, okay, so the typical dose is like three to 350 is like what right. you know they recommend. Uh, and I actually, I've been experimenting. So with the magnesium breakthrough, I take the recommended dose, which is two of them, which I think is 500 milligrams. But on nights where I'm feeling a little bit meh, I, um, I'll take an additional one and it'll help me sleep through the night. Like the night. So I've been just taking, <laughs> like we talked about how sometimes, you know, you take melatonin if you just are disrupted. You do it every night. I have been doing it pretty regularly for like the past month, and now I'm kind of taking myself off of that and seeing how I respond, and I've been fine. But I have noticed that I sleep longer, like don't wake up as earlier when um, magnesium when I up my dose of magnesium. So it's just important. You gotta like, and you can experiment with that dose. So upping that dose in your luteal phase in the second half of your cycle. This is what we're talking about: cycle syncing. Hey, you can sync your supplements to your cycle. You can up that. Um, in the second half of your cycle, I think that that could be pretty beneficial as well. And when you're like in periods of really high stress, because we know that periods of stress deplete magnesium. So up at during those times as well, of course, talk with your doctor about any supplementation before you do it. <laughs> you know, I do on days when I had a lot of coffee and on days where I felt a little bit stressed, I do take uh, an additional capsule. And I think it helps me sleep. Mm. Yeah. Good to know. Question number two is from Inga. I would love if you discussed boundaries and reducing stress. <laughs> I am not. Yeah. Yeah. We like this doing that. I am not a typical person who has anxiety. And with this time, it feels like I am worried about absolutely everything. You are not alone, Inga. Tell, talk to us about boundaries, Steph. <laughs> yeah, well, it's very interesting because uh, Inga said, with this time, I feel like I'm worried about absolutely everything. And so there's a lot of sources of anxiety right now, right? We have our own stability to worry about. We have our health to worry about. We have the health of other people and their stability, right? Because uh, because the world is really, really hard right now and planning things is really, really hard. And anxiety is basically the condition of having a uh, visceral reaction to uncertainty, right? And it's the condition of what ifs and, and they multiply on each other. And so um, I think it's very worth the time to think intentionally about how you're relating to the conditions in your life, to the conditions of the world and thinking about why you are worrying so much right now. What are you worrying about and what can you do to take care of yourself in that in that space, right? Say you're worried about uh, your bills in the future or your rent or your job or all these different things. And it's like, okay, I'm going to, this is an uncomfortable thing to think about, but I'm going to think about it a lot and I'm going to make plans and I'm going to make backup plans and backup plans on top of backup plans. And not everybody needs them, but those of us who struggle with anxiety, I think having plans and tons of backup plans, I can't tell you. <laughs> I've got L plans, M plans, N plans, like I got... <laughs> 
plan M, plan O. Anyway, I've got a lot of plans. Plans can be really good. And flexibility is, of course, really good for moving in between those plans. But really facing situations head on, trying to increase your stability in this time. And then, of course, trying to deal with the fact that we are fundamentally vulnerable and something that I said a lot when the pandemic was beginning. Off, you know, I talked to people in my audience on my personal page on Instagram, Stephanie Rupert, a lot about the fact that you know, we do, we have created this huge society in these worlds in which we have some degree of stability, some degree of expectation management, all that sort of stuff. But that doesn't change the fact that humans are fundamentally vulnerable and things happen that are far outside our control. Everything is unexpected uh, and we have to deal with the fact that we're not in control while at the same time controlling what we can. Right. That's I think that that's really fundamental. That's like the fundamental premise of dealing with anxiety. Those are the two things you got to do. Control what you can in a way that's healthy and let go of the things that that you can't in in a way that's healthy. So I just want to throw that out there while we're moving into anxiety. And then uh, boundaries is is an important part of, of dealing with anxiety. It definitely is for me because my problem is that I experience anxiety when I am not acting in the way that I think is best and when I'm not meeting people's needs when I could be meeting them. And so that means uh, that I need to, that I'm constantly feeling like I am denying people and it makes me extremely anxious. So what you have to bear in mind in terms of boundaries is that uh, it is impossible to save everyone and everything, period. It just, it literally is. And as much as I think that being a good person means showing up for other people, right, and learning how to die to one another's needs, as much as I think that that's very important for being a good person, you're also a person. So my personal way of, of thinking about this, and I actually think it's going to be one of the foundational principles of this book that I'm writing on the meaning of life, is harmony, right? The goal is to harmonize your good with the good of other people. And, of course, to progressively be learning how to navigate that, how to do more for others. But it's the goal is harmony. And other people in the world and people in your life need to be people who respect your well-being and your boundaries. If people don't respect your boundaries, if they don't want you to be healthy, then bye. <laughs> I just – if you say to somebody, this is something I need in order to have emotional health right now, and they demand more beyond what you're saying you can do, that's a good thing to have a conversation about. And if it can't be fixed, to question your relationship with that relationship, right? I think that that's extremely important. And fill your life with people who want what's best for you. Right. And then you all want what's best for each other. And you end up in this beautiful dynamic of being independent, right? Being able to stand on your own, helping people when you can, them saying it's okay when you can't. And it works. And so the trick is uh, having these kinds of people be the ones that are in your life and finding them and pruning. And, and it can be really painful to reshuffle your social circles. Uh, and then also cultivating these kinds of ethos with the people in your life. And if it's not people in your life, but it's institutions or jobs or whatever, then you just need to be really intentional about who you are and what you want. And then 
say it and and be unapologetic about it and try to be kind, you know, but if it's in work and it's 5 p.m. on a Friday, right? If you feel like you have the ability, the license to draw a line there, then draw it. And if you don't, fine, right? Um, and, and negotiate what that looks like at at another at another point in time, you know, at, at the end of the day, we are all fundamentally uh, responsible for our own well-being. And so I think that that's just really, really important. And we're all afraid of confrontation and, and often afraid of saying no. Uh, but I think when you practice it, and I think I mentioned the last time I was on the podcast that practicing saying no in small ways has been really helpful for me in learning that the world doesn't end and other people are okay right? Other people are okay. We sort of feel like we need to, uh, but we really, really don't, you know, uh, the world definitely doesn't end. So those are some, I don't know. That's how I, that's how I'm thinking about boundaries right now. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. I heard something really interesting, which is how you respect your own boundaries will indicate to others how they should respect and respond to your boundaries. Mm. So I think it takes practice, you know, when you're trying to create boundaries and trying to communicate those boundaries in a way that feels authentic to you. You know, I think we all worry about what other people think and that people are going to think that we're being intense or negative or, you know, not fun or whatever it is by saying no or keeping these boundaries. And so it really just takes kind of working through your head about what that means to you and, and how you are going to respect your own boundaries. And coming up with ways to properly communicate that to others, too. So, mm -hmm. okay, this is um, we've got last two questions somewhat related. I can probably handle them, but I'd love to hear your thoughts, too, Steph. Um, num question number three is kind of a random topic, but what are the real signs of iron deficiency and the best way to increase absorption? Um, Why don't you go ahead? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so iron de in deficiency is actually pretty simple, but like, we're going to talk about vitamin, I'll, I'll touch on vitamin D2, which is the next question, but there's a little bit more there. So I'll read that separately. Um, iron deficiency or, or the inability to absorb iron is, is like most commonly causes anemia. And actually a lot of people suffer from anemia. Um, and anemia is essentially when your body doesn't get enough oxygen because you're not making enough red blood cells. Iron is needed to make red blood cells. One of the main symptoms of iron, iron deficiency is fatigue and being sensitive to cold or intolerant to cold. And then brain fog, sometimes paleness, um, one of the things that has been found over time is that vitamin B12 is an important cofactor necessary for iron's absorption. So while you may be eating enough meat or whatever, say so you, you, you're like, well, I have a great diet. Why am I not, you know, why do I have anemia? It's likely because you're deficient in B12 and um, that can create that deficiency and then therefore create anemia. And so this is why, you know, Steph and I talk about, and she, Steph, you've mentioned this a lot, which is the importance of getting heme iron, which is the type of iron found in meat and is highly absorbable. And two, eating high quality meats, specifically organ meats and fatty fish and egg yolks, uh, egg yolks, which are all sources of B12. We really need sufficient B12 in our diets 
And that's a really common deficiency because a lot of people have moved away with the fat-free movement. Um, a lot of people moved away from egg yolks. You know, everybody, egg white omelets, and nobody eats any sort of you know, good sources of heme iron anymore. So um, green vegetables are not a great source of iron since they only provide non, non-heme iron, which is, you know, it's hard to absorb. And so... At the same time, there also could be some conditions which inhibit your your body from being able to properly absorb iron and or B12, which would be things like celiac disease and, you know, like gut infections, H. pylori. Um, But also some studies have showed that psychological stress reduces iron absorption in the gut. So there's that, which I, again, refer to the episode we did last time, 289, for how psychological stress and the gut-brain connection all works together. Um, Gut-brain axis works. And then also proton pump inhibitors, which are basically, it's a a medication that sort of suppresses proper stomach acid production. And also antacid use in general can cause vitamin B12 malabsorption. So if you think about the number of people who are really struggling with heartburn for a variety of reasons, and then they end up taking proton pump inhibitors or they end up taking acids that actually suppresses vitamin B12 absorption because stomach acid is really needed for vitamin B12 absorption. So this is why we are big fans of treating the root cause instead of, you know, turning off bodily processes to treat. Um, yeah. Anything else from you on the iron side? No. Okay. So let me jump to the... Um, the question about vitamin D. This is our last question. It's from Meloche. Imogene. Uh, gluten sensitivity or food allergies and how it affects vitamin D and others' absorption. I've taken several rounds of negative vitamin D supplementation with only minimal improvement in vitamin D blood test results. I'm also not being very diligent about avoiding gluten and dairy, which I know I have at least some sensitivities to as our connection here. Um... She also mentions, and this is something we talked about in our last episode, which is she knows she'll feel better when her body functions better. She knows she feels better when her body functions better without gluten and dairy, she says, but eliminating them triggers restrictive and dieting food behaviors that are also bad for me. I have appreciated the notion that if you're cutting them out for a medical reason, this is different than restriction of diet culture. And yes, it is. I would imagine that you probably know more about the relationship between sensitivity and vitamin D. Um, But I also, I'm not like gluten sensitivity versus vitamin D supplementation. There's so much that goes into taking vitamin D and making it sure that it absorbs properly, right? I, I can't imagine that gluten would be the only factor in trying to make sure that that works right, right? Yeah. I mean, I actually, I mean, it's not super simple, but I think you need to think about what type of so like go back to your to the basics like what what type of vitamin D are you supplementing with I think that's important um, and also an, an important cofactor here is K two so whenever you supplement with D three you need to be it needs to have like a K two component to it um, which is why we always kind of talk about that and if that's true I mean there's just a couple other things to think about so like. Vitamin D is a, is a fat soluble vitamin, so to absorb it, you have to you have to have a gut that is able to absorb dietary fat. So, if like for example, if your gallbladder is removed, that may create issues. If you have problems digesting fats, a lot of people do. 
you may have issues. So potentially a supplement, like a beet supplement that would help you absorb fat better. Or if you don't have a gallbladder, you need to be taking, you know, bile salts to help your body be absorbing fat. Um, But then also gut issues like gut infections can also create issues where the gut can't properly absorb vitamin D. Um, And I like, I know we've talked about this before, but obviously sunlight is the best source of vitamin D, but a lot of us are staying inside. We're wearing sunscreen, so we're not getting that. So vitamin D is synthesized by cholesterol from the sun. Most research shows that you really need to be outside, expose your body, like a good portion of your body. So, you know, in a tank top or whatever, for for only like five to 30-ish minutes, depending on how you, like, depending on where what your skin tone is and your skin color and how your um, skin actually absorbs the sun. So when I get tanner, you know, I might need a little bit more time. Um, but it, you know, five to 30 minutes, I would say five to 15 minutes really is all you need to get your daily dose of vitamin D from the sun. So, I mean, essentially you could do that. And then of course eat fatty fish and egg yolks and that sort of stuff along with a supplementation protocol. Yes, I agree. I mean, yeah, it's definitely the most efficient way or way you can be most sure that you're getting vitamin D, you know? Yeah. And I, I wouldn't jump to, so I, I, um, I think that one of the interesting things of, I wouldn't say diet culture, but just like, look, I I know dairy and, and gluten can be rough. You know, we, we, we talk about it in terms of like it being an elimination, important foods to eliminate, mostly because, and again, we talk about this in, in our book, there's a lot to this, mostly because they are typically really poor quality and highly processed. So yes, removing dairy and gluten might help your gut health. I don't think that that is to blame here for your body not absorbing vitamin D. I think that's oversimplified. And sometimes I think we jump to that too quickly. Like, oh, gluten and dairy is causing the problem. Maybe, but I think what we're learning more and more now is that underlying gut problems, it's more the terrain that's that might be causing the issue. And if you were to sort of heal those underlying issues and or just make sure you're eating more nutrient-dense options like grass-fed cheese or, you know, whatever, um, that would be helpful. But I don't think that that's why you haven't been absorbing vitamin D, um, there might be other root causes there. Yeah, I'm definitely very pro making sure that you have the whole ecosystem of vitamins and the gut health that can help you, you know, absorb the ecosystem of vitamins Mm -hmm. and making sure that you have high fat in your diet. So yes, I agree. Okie dokie. Any other thoughts from you before we send you off to get your, your, um, nose better well, I was gonna say <laughs> your higher levels of oxygen to your brain oh yay yay oxygen I'm very excited for you yay. so will that be a thing I don't know maybe we'll need to do one more because I don't want to be like hey how was surgery can you record tomorrow so um, <laughs> we yeah. might record one more time but maybe maybe when we come back you'll have more oxygen and your nose done okay thanks guys for being here from where from stephanie go to healthsoundpower.com for more from me go to coconuts and kettlebells.com make sure to 
join our Facebook group. It's called Well-Fed Women Holistic Health Community. You can search it and just request to join. We'd love to talk to you there. Thanks, guys. We love you. We will talk to you next week. 